It's great to have so many high school and college students uh, here this morning. Uh, it really is awesome. So um, it's an answer to prayer. We have prayed um, for years, and many of us met the Lord either in high school or college, so um, who are older. So we're super excited about that. Let me pray, and, uh, and, and then we'll start. Father, thank you so much for a new day where we get to learn more about you from your word. And we thank you for joy and laughter. And we pray that you would speak to us clearly uh, from your word. And we would be different because of it. And I ask for your help as I preach it. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Well, seriously, last year at this time, I was here in this building. And my son Isaac was in the sound booth. And nobody else was in this room. So I would, it's just super fun uh, to have so many people in the building. And I know those of you watching online, you long to be here. And we're excited for the day that you can safely be here as well. Uh, we are in the book of Exodus. Today is the third message in our series on Exodus. So if you have a Bible, uh, pull up Exodus chapter 2. And we're going to jump in. Page 106. Thank you. We got more than one heckler. Great. It's like popcorn. Have you ever noticed that? It's always like popcorn. It just starts popping and there it goes. <laughs> uh, so we're in the book of Exodus and one big idea that I want us to get for understanding the book of Exodus and really understanding the whole Bible. And it's a really simple idea. Big word is called hermeneutics, the science of interpretation. How do you understand the Bible? Well, here's one big hermeneutical lesson. The Bible's not about us. The Bible is about God. The Bible is primarily about God. The book of Exodus is primarily about God. We're going to learn a lot about Moses and see God use Moses. But if you want to rightly understand the book of Exodus, and you want to rightly understand the Bible, and you want to experience the, the most joy you can possibly experience in your relationship with the Lord, it's really learning that it's not about us. That it is primarily about the Lord. I want to read a quote from two authors that they wrote a, a book on the book of Exodus, Phil Riken and Kent Hughes, and, and here's what they said. As we study the biblical history in the book of Exodus, we discover that the real hero of the story is God. God is the one who reveals himself to Moses as the great I am. God is the one who hears the cries of his people in bondage and takes pity on their suffering, raising up a deliverer to save them. God is the one who visits the plagues of Egypt, who divides the sea, who drowns Pharaoh's army. God is the one who provides bread from heaven and water from a rock. God is the one who gives the law covenant on the mountain and fills the tabernacle with his glory. From beginning to end, Exodus is a God-centered book, a theological history. So my prayer for all of us is that our eyes would be open to see the Lord more through this study. The title today is God Makes Himself Known. And the big idea is since God has made Himself known, we must trust in Him and we must seek Him. Because God is a God who makes Himself known, we have to trust Him and seek Him so that we could know Him more. 
We're going to be going through Exodus chapter 2, verse 10, through the end of chapter 4 today, which is kind of a big section. When we began the series, I said we were about 30,000 feet up in an airplane, and we did a whole survey of the book the first week, and then we dropped in and we went kind of slowly. Today, imagine being in a helicopter. We're going to go up and down. Um, We're going to drop in, then we're going to pull up a little higher, and so we're going to not cover every single part of this line for line word for word, but we're going to get the main idea, and then you can look at it on your own if you want to get more of the details. So, first point, God devises an unlikely rescue plan to make himself known. God came up with an unlikely rescue plan to make himself known. Look at verse 11 through 15 of chapter 2. One day, when Moses had grown up, He went out to his people. He looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that way, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. He actually killed the man. When he went out the next day, behold, two two Hebrews were struggling together, and he said to the man in the wrong, "Why, why do you strike your companion?" So Moses is correcting a fellow Hebrew. He answered, who made you a prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. The word is out. I'm a murderer. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Now, when you think of Moses, you may not first think of this, or maybe you didn't know this or even remember this, that when we think of Moses leading God's people, the Israelites, across the Red Sea, which we'll get to in a a week or two, you think of Moses, this great, bold leader. Well, here we have Moses with guilt on his hand. He took matters into his own hand. And the Bible actually doesn't tell us much about Moses from the time he was young, till the time he was 40 years of age. See, in, in these few verses, from verse 10 to verse 11, we, we actually skip about 40 years. And so when Moses killed this man, he was actually 40 years old. And he, as you know, he was raised in Pharaoh's household. So he was raised as an Egyptian. He was raised with wealth. He was a privileged kid. Um, if it was our, our day and age, picture the, a mansion with sports cars and, and a guy who doesn't have to work at all. He had everything he could possibly want at his disposal. But Moses remembered, knew somehow that he was a Hebrew, that he was Jewish. And as he considered the suffering of his people, he tries to take matters into his own hand and he ends up killing a fellow Egyptian. Now, we don't get this information from the book of Exodus. We actually get this information from Acts chapter 7, when Stephen, the the first martyr, is preaching. He gives a history. Think of like Cliff Notes or Andy Spark Notes. Is that good? Yeah, thank you. Andy keeps me relevant. Uh, But think of just a a summary of, That's what the book of Acts chapter 7 has, is this summary of this whole history of Israel. 
that you get these, these quick notes, and we get some details that we wouldn't have known. And then the author of Hebrews in chapter 11 also gives us some information. Well, Moses, it says in verse 15, when Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. So, once again, we need a little more detail. So what happens is he, he's discovered that he's killed an Egyptian. Pharaoh is going to kill him. Pharaoh is not happy with him. So he goes out into the wilderness, out into Midian. And if you know the book of Genesis well, and you want to be married, sitting down by a well is a good way to do it. Because two of his forefathers met their wives sitting down by a well. And so Moses also is going to eventually meet his wife sitting down by a well. And then he ends up living in Midian in the wilderness for 40 years. So he's 40 when he commits this murder. He's sent out into the wilderness, really in exile, in hiding, so that he doesn't get killed by Pharaoh. And there he is in the wilderness. Remember, the point was God devises an unlikely rescue plan to make himself known. So God hears the cries of his people. Baby Moses is born. Baby Moses is raised in Pharaoh's household. At, a, as, at the age of 40, he's sent into the wilderness. We don't see him again or hear about him again until he is 80 years old. 40 years later. And we learn from the book of Hebrews that Moses knew what he was doing. He was counting the costs and somehow had faith in a future Messiah that would one day come. This is what the author of Hebrews says. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ of greater wealth than all the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. I mean, picture all the wealth and power and prestige that you could have. When Moses, under Pharaoh, in Pharaoh's household, when he would enter probably a public place, people would acknowledge him, bow down to him maybe even. And, and he left all of that because... Though imperfectly, he had a burden for his people. He knew it wasn't right what the Egyptians were doing to them. And somehow, he considered the reproach of Christ of greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. He counted the cost. The New Testament talks about that. So if you're on the, the fence of, wow, if I follow Jesus, if I really put my trust in him, if I, if I go all in with Jesus, most likely there's some things you have to give up. You're going, to be, you're going to be laying some things down. Here's what you need to know. What was true for Moses will be true for you. That it will be far more rewarding to turn from those things, lay down those things, and follow the living God. That's what Moses did. That's what Moses discovered. And that's what you'll discover as well. So he had a burden for his people. Maybe right when he was, maybe he was 39, about to turn 40, and he was thinking maybe this is the year. I'm going to go and I'm going to lead the people and I'm going to rescue God's people from, from Pharaoh. 
He saw the injustice. It, it, it finally boiled over. But then for 40 years, he was put on the shelf. You know, picture a book you have on your shelf that was placed there years ago that, that never comes off. That's probably what, what Moses felt like. He had this burden. He remembered that he was an Israelite. And there he is on the shelf, getting dusty. No, no action for the Lord. No, no movement for it. No rescue plan is happening. And maybe in a smaller way, that, that happens to us at times, right? That happens to, to you and I. Maybe some of you uh, this past year, those of you who are watching online especially, feel like because of health reasons, because of challenges, you've been set aside and you haven't been able to do the kind of things you want to do for the Lord. And you feel like you're just placed up there. And all these people are doing all these things and dust is just building and growing. Well, here's the thing. When, when we are placed on the shelf, when we are put in the waiting room, per se, if you respond to the Lord during those times, if you continue to seek Him, you continue to be faithful to what He's calling you to do in front of you, what happens is you grow these deep roots in Him. And it seems like nothing is happening. It seems like probably the, the world is passing you by and the Christian world is passing you by. And you see all these things on Instagram or whatever you watch. And wow, all these people are doing all these incredible things. And there you are, feels like, on the shelf. Well, that was Moses from the age of 40 to the age of 80. Ironically, he was a shepherd. We know from the book of Genesis that shepherds were despised by the Egyptians. So not only was he shelved, but he was, he was given really the lowly task that he would have grown up looking down upon. Like, this is not what you do. This is a demeaning, despicable job. And there he is for 40 years doing this despicable job that he, he was trained to despise. The book of Numbers says this really powerful sentence. Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all the people who were on the face of the earth. Well, how'd that happen? Well, I think how that happened, he was put on the shelf for 40 years. He responded and just did what he could do. He, he took the next step in front of him. And if you're in that spot, the best thing you can do is what Jesus said in John 15. Whoever abides in me will bear much fruit. If you keep seeking the Lord, you keep pursuing the Lord, maybe you have physical limitations, maybe you have mental health limitations, maybe you have all kinds of limitations. Every day, open this book, pray, talk to the Lord, write notes, journal, interact with the living God. And then one day, you will have grown these deep roots and you will have matured in character. And the Lord can put you in spots that he could not have put you in if he had not shelved you for a little while. And I think that's true of Moses. So Moses, we're going to pick back up with Moses in a moment, but we're going to meet him as an 80-year-old meek man, not a proud young man. See, God is devising a very unlikely rescue plan. And as I said a few weeks ago, Moses and many of the, the Old Testament 
let's say, heroes of the faith are really shadows of Jesus to come, types of Jesus to come. And so when we think about Moses leaving his riches to eventually lead the people of God, we should think very quickly about Jesus who left far greater riches than that of Pharaoh's household in Egypt. He left the, the, the perfect relationship he had with God the Father and God the Son. He left his power and laid it down and became an infant. Very unlikely rescue plan. Not only that, he was raised by what most people think was a teen mom who was poor and her husband Joseph, who was a carpenter, and they were lowly and they lived in an obscure part of the world. Nobody was thinking this is where the hope of the entire human race is going to come out of. We know that um, from the Bible. So listen to this. This is in the book of John. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. We found the one the Old Testament talked about. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. One far greater than Moses also was part of a very unlikely rescue plan. Born in obscurity. Raised in obscurity. And then one day, bust into the sea. And we're going to learn a lot about Moses. We're going to see his, his, his strengths and his weaknesses. His, his failings, his sins, his anger. And the Lord still uses him. There's only been one that was perfect and flawless in every way, and that is Jesus. And so when we go through the Exodus account, we want to do a beeline to, to Jesus, the ultimate one who was part of the greatest rescue plan in human history. So but we're going to pick back up with, with Moses, 80-year-old Moses. What is he doing when we find him? He's doing his job. He's shepherding animals. He's out shepherding animals. And before we, we see him shepherding, we're, we're going we're gonna to get this great glimpse that God has not missed the suffering of his people. Which brings us to the second point. God hears the groans of his people and he sets the stage to make himself known. He's patiently Setting the stage to make himself known. Verse 23 of chapter 2. During those many days, the king of Egypt died. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel. I love this phrase. God knew. God knew. God knows. God hears the cries of His people. He hears us when we groan, when we, we pray, when we're in tough situations. When we're groaning and words aren't even coming out of your mouth. When you're in tears and nobody is around and nobody sees. God sees. God knows. And God remembers His covenant. Now that's a word we don't think a lot about. 
But that, the word covenant is key to understanding the Old and New Testament. It's this binding promise or promises that God makes with his people. And some are conditional and some are unconditional. But God made a covenant with Abraham in the book of Genesis. You can look at chapter 12 through chapter 17. And he made promises to Abraham and to his descendants to come. And God is going to be faithful to fulfill that covenant, to that, fulfill that promise. Part of that promise was your, there will be, your descendants will be more numerous than the, the stars in the sky or the grains of, of sand on the seashore. Part of it was going to be a promised land. Part of it, God's people were going to be a great nation. And we see that happens and then it kind of falls apart. And then we know from the book of Revelation one day that will be ultimately restored again. But do not believe the lie that God does not know what you're going through. That God does not care. That God does not love you. That God has forgotten you. Call out to him. He hears you. He sees you. He knows you. So now we're back shepherding. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses was keeping flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. Jethro is a descendant of Abraham. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Also thought to believe where Mount Sinai where the Ten Commandments are going to come and God's going to come down to Moses. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire outside the midst of a bush. He looked and behold the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see it, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet. The place where you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. So there's a lot here. Let me just first say, this was not a hallucination. He wasn't hallucinating. Some people teach that he was hallucinating. He wasn't hallucinating. There wasn't some kind of strange gas coming out of this particular bush that, that some people have made a case for. It was a miracle. It was a miraculous thing that was happening. It was a supernatural event. And when we see the angel of the Lord, the word angel just means messenger. So often it really is a messenger from the Lord that's an angelic being. In this context, it wasn't a messenger from the Lord. It was the Lord. And we know that because of what he continues to say here. He says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. That's not an angel as we think of angels. That's God himself showing his presence to Moses. Now think about this. He was shepherding for 40 years, day after day, looking for animals that are lost, stuck in briars, day after day, wondering, maybe thinking, what, what will become of my life? What will become of my people? And that morning was no different than any other morning. He wakes up and God shows up and reveals his presence and his power. Now this is a huge, huge, huge event in the Bible. Because if you remember, Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden. 
When they sinned, they got kicked out of God's presence. And there were swords. You can't come back in here. And now the story continues to unfold. And God is devising a way to be with his people and to make his presence known. And we're going to see that throughout the book of Exodus. And the culmination of Exodus is God's spirit is going to be revealed in power. So this was a major, incredible event in human history. God had not forgotten, and God was going to make his presence known. Look at verse 7. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry of their taskmaster. I know their sufferings, and I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land. Just like he promised. A land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I've seen their oppression with, with which was with the Egyptian oppresses them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So all is well. Moses was there. God shows up. This is incredible. And then, then he has like the uh-oh moment. The uh-oh moment is this, verse 11. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So remember, 40-year-old Moses probably thought, I'm the guy. If ever there was a guy, I'm the guy to lead my people out of Egypt. The 80-year-old Moses head bowed, who am I that I should lead the people out of Egypt, out of slavery? Verse 12, he said, but I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. In other words, this mountain in Horeb, which is really Mount Sinai, you're going to be back here one day, and you're going to be back here with about a million some people that you have let out. And you'll see that I'm the one who is with you the whole time. So this promise is a fulfillment of the promise to Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant. God let Moses know exactly what he was going to do, and God let Moses know, I'm going to use you to do it. Now we're going to see Moses, like us at times, is going to overthink this. And he's going to doubt, and he's going to fear, and he's going to have some trembling. But God made it so clear, I'm going to be with you. Make an application for us. As Christians, just the fact that you know Jesus Christ, you have been called to a mission. You have been called to a great commission. If you trusted in Jesus this morning, you're already called to the great commission. If you, you trusted in Jesus 80 years ago, you're, you're in the Great Commission. We're called to share the gospel boldly. We're called to make disciples. We're called to teach people about the living God. And we'll do our best in that mission when we take our eyes off of ourselves and entrust ourselves to the one who will be with us along the way. We don't have to fear culture. We don't have to fear cultural tides shifting. We don't have to fear any of that. The living God is going to be with us to help us, to enable us, to embolden us to share the good news. This is what he says in Matthew 28. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, 
and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So we hear that, we get excited about that, and then we think, well, I don't know enough about the Bible. What if they ask me this question? What if they ask that question? What if they ask me all these questions? What if they're just smarter than me? What if they get mad at me? What if they yell at me? What if they get angry at me? And we get all these what ifs. Well, all those what ifs are like, a, it's like a smoke screen. We, 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 we start asking them and then all of a sudden we can't see the Lord and we miss it. Well, Moses is, is about to do that and God's going to settle him down a bit. Um, we're going to go to, to verse 13. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers, this is what you should say, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? So Moses starting with the basics. Hey, if they say, Who is this guy that sent you? Who's the God who sent you? What should I say? Who, what's your name? Verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. That's what you should say. I am who I am. That might have been confusing at first. And he said, say to this people of Israel, I am has sent you. God also said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. God keeps repeating his promise. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered through all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites, a land flung with milk and honey." So if you're reading that in your Bible reading program, you just read it, and then you're just, you're just on to the next thing. But let's slow down a little bit. What's his name? What's his name? What should, we, what should we tell him? Tell him this. He's the great I am. He's the one who is the maker of heaven and earth. He's the one who has no beginning and no end. He's absolutely eternal. He's the one who is so far greater than Pharaoh or any other king that is going to threaten him. He's the mighty one. He's the king of kings. He's the one who is not afraid of anything you see with your eyes. Anything. I mean, think how worked up we can get. Like you're watching the news, you're, you're looking at some kind of news feed. You're like, oh, no, this happened. Oh, no, that happened. Oh, no, this happened. Well, that's not new. I mean, the Ecclesiastes says, there's nothing new under the sun. So, no, it wasn't on your news feed, but oh no, they're making more chariots. I heard they're making more chariots. I heard their spears are now 14 feet long. I heard they're sharpening their spears. And you, it, it's the same thing. It's the exact same thing. And we, we can be tempted to, oh, let's, let's, let's see how, how long 14 feet is. Let's see how far into my body that, that spear will go. Let's see how fast those chariots will travel. Let's see how big their horses are. And you start thinking about all these things. And we lose sight of God. I am who I said I am. Look up. Look outward to the Lord. That's what God is calling Moses 
to do. That's what God is calling us to do. And Moses is going to do it. Now he's going to do it with knees shaking. He's going to do it with fear and trembling, but he's going to do it. Look at verse, or verse 1 of chapter 4. Third point, God will make himself known by displaying his greatness and power. God's going to make himself known. Now, God's going to help Moses here. Then Moses answered, But behold, Lord, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. For they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. See, in Moses' mind, though it's been 40 years, he still knows, hey, I killed an Egyptian. They called me out on it. Who am I to lead these people? And what if they say you just made it up? You didn't really meet Jesus. Your life didn't really get transformed from the inside out. What if they say I made it up? Well, the Lord gives him some really cool things to do. And you feel bad for Moses because we're going to see, like he's 80. You know, it seems like in those days they, they aged a little bit better, but you feel bad. You, you wonder the next thing is about to happen. Is his heart going to be okay? Look at, look at verse 2. The Lord said to him, what is in your hand? He said, a staff. So he's got a staff in his hand. And he said, throw it on the ground. Here's where the heart problem's going to come. So he throws it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses ran from it. So that's just a funny scene to me. So he's got the staff, throws it down. Ah, snake, run. And this is a shepherd. You know, these guys are tough. They're, they're not afraid of animals. And so it must have been a pretty fierce serpent. And he runs. And this is God's chosen guy. Keep that in mind. That should give us all confidence. That he's going to use us when we're afraid, when we're worried, when we're nervous, when we've got all this self-doubt. This is God's guy. Verse 4. But the Lord said to him, Put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So you can imagine, we don't have a video of this, but you can imagine he's like, he's, you know, he's stepping away, but he's going to grab this thing and he got it. And then look what happens. This is amazing. So he, he put out his hand, he caught it, and it became a staff. Well, that's a cool trick. Uh, and that would give you some confidence. Um, that they, verse 5, that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. So first, this is even before he's going to Pharaoh. This is just to, to get the Israelite elders to have some confidence that God chose this guy and God's with this guy and God's going to lead the whole group out. So he gives them some more things to do. Verse 6, again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak, like inside your robe. And he put his hand inside his cloak and when he took it out, his hand was leprous like snow. So we just read these things. But just imagine if that really happened. You're like, oh my, I don't want to do this. I'm going to do it. And then it's just a skin disease all over your hand. You're like, ah, oh, why, why that one, Lord? Why that one? And we're going to see this is kind of foreshadowing of the ten plagues that are going to come. So, and he puts his hand inside his cloak, takes it out, and it's leprous like snow. Pure white skin disease. Then God said, put it back in. So he puts it back in. So he puts his hand back in his cloak, and when he took it out, it restored. So it was skin disease, disgusting, gross, might even smelled. Puts it back in. Hey, there's my hand again. I'm back. Remember, this is all signs God's showing him to, to build his confidence. He's going to be with him. Verse 7. Then God, or verse 8. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they do not believe even these two signs, we'll give you one more. 
You shall take some water out of the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. And the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. Kind of a strange one. And we're going to see as we go through the ten plagues why that's significant. But God gave him these three miraculous things. One, to build his confidence in the Lord and also to build the people's confidence in the Lord, but in Moses as the one who was called to lead. And so he does. We're going to drop down to verse 18. Moses, through wrestling, he he decides, yes, God has called me. I need to respond. Verse 18. Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt, his fellow Israelites. He didn't forget them. To see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses in Midian, go back to Egypt for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and they went back to the land of Egypt And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. Moses had not been back there for 40 years. The last time he was there, before the murder, he was was one of the, the chosen special kids, young men in Pharaoh's house. And so you can imagine the wrestling and the emotions that are being stirred as he's traveling back and now with his family. But he was good. You know, he was ready to go. But then God's going to tell him something that's going to probably make him step back a little bit more. Look at verse 21. And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. So the three things we just talked about. Okay, good, I'll do that. And then hopefully if he's playing out the scenario, then Pharaoh will listen and change and say, You guys can go. And we'll say bye-bye, and then we'll go, and we'll live happily ever after. That's what I would be hoping if I was him. But here's what happened. But I will harden his heart, Pharaoh's heart, so that he will not let the people go. What'd you say? I want you to go to this guy. I want you to show the miracles. And then instead of him just letting the people go, I'm going to actually harden the heart of a very evil man's heart that's already hard, and I'm not going to let... My people go. Why would you do that? Well, because the whole idea is God is setting the stage to show his power, his might, his glory. And Jason's going to get into this two weeks from now um, in more detail. But the, the big idea is that God is going to display his power in a very powerful way. Verse 22, then you say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn. God says, these, these are my kids. These are my kids, you gotta let them go. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. So he's calling the entire nation, God's calling the entire nation his son. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. You know the phrase like, don't shoot the messenger? So Moses is the messenger here. He's the one who has to go before Pharaoh and say all these things. And so he's going to eventually do that. He's going to speak before Pharaoh. But behind Moses is the living God, the great I am, the one who cannot be thwarted and will be bowed down to by everyone. 
So Moses is in a tough spot, but we're going to see he, he does it. He does it with some wrestling and negotiating with the Lord. And he eventually gets his brother Aaron to be the one who speaks up for him, at least at first. And Aaron does that. But they go to the people, and the people actually respond. The Israelites actually think God has heard us. God has seen us. God cares about us. God's going to spring us out of this slavery. Now we're going to see they grumble and they complain. They're like us. But they do eventually get led to freedom. We're going to jump down to verse 27 through 31. The Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So now they're a team. So he went and he met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord, which he had sent to speak him, and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. So we're equipped. We're going to do this. God has called us. Let's, let's do this. Verse 29. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of them. So this is a big moment because God could call and they go to the Israelites and they don't want to follow. They don't want to go. They don't want to do it. They, don't, they just want to stay. So they do this and they start with the leaders of the, the Jewish people. And, and like I said, there's probably a million plus people. There's a large group of people. And they, they do the miracles. Aaron talks. Moses shows. And they are ready and here's the amazing thing, the encouraging thing. Look at verse 31. Or verse, yeah, verse 31. Because this is the moment of test. Like, is this really going to happen? And the people believed, and when they heard the Lord had visited the people of Israel, and they had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads, and they worshipped. Isn't that beautiful? Years of slavery, years of oppression, years of hardship. Like just like Moses woke up one day and God appeared to him in the burning bush, they wake up one day, maybe being whipped, being beaten, probably eating bad food and not very much of it. And then that very morning, it happens. Oh, God remembered. And he sent these guys to lead us out of this slavery. And they respond with faith and worship. I mean, do you remember the day that Jesus became more than a story to you? That you suddenly could see Jesus in a way you could not see him before? That, wow, this is God's deliverer sent into this broken world to pay for all of my sins, absorb the wrath of God upon himself, rise from the grave on the third day, and if I look to him, if I turn to him, if I trust in him, I'm given eternal life. And you believed. God gave you faith to believe. And you turned from your life of sin or self-righteousness and you trusted and you followed. Well, the Lord wants us to keep trusting and to keep following. And so as we go through the book of Exodus, we're just going to see a greater and greater glimpse of this great and awesome and mighty God that we need to follow and worship, and trust. Since God has made himself known, we, we have to trust him. We must seek him. 
And let's be a people that makes much of him, that is committed to making him known to others. Don't be afraid of what you see with your eyes. Don't be afraid of reactions that could happen. You have the good news of eternal life if you know Jesus. Go and share it boldly. Let's uh, stand up. We're going to pray and the worship team can come on up. Lord, we thank you that you are mighty and powerful. Lord, we just confess we're weak and frail. And yet that's exactly who you use, the weak, the frail. Lord, would you, even as we sing this final song, take our eyes off of ourselves and our circumstances and our doubts and our what-ifs. Fill us with faith, confidence, and the great I am who always was and always will be. The one who is gathering a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation throughout this globe. The one who wants to use us to do our part in the Great Commission. Lord, would you be glorified through this church, through every gospel-preaching church and ministry in Indiana County, and may we all bring you much glory. And we love you, and we ask this in your name. Amen. Amen.